We're doing this series, and the series is on, on getting to know God. And um, one of the things that I've been trying to emphasize is the idea of humility. The idea that nobody knows God perfectly, and nobody um, has a corner on God. Um, God would just be too big. It'd be embarrassing, you know, (laughs) if somebody could, this is the person you go talk to that knows everything about God. So God would have to exceed our little brains and our little minds. And uh, I came across this um, um, a while ago. I was going to share it with you, and then I I held on to it. But I thought maybe this morning, you know, in Exodus, um, there's a story about Moses. And it's, it's in the 33rd chapter. I'll just read a slice to you. It says, uh, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. And some of you, you've heard that verse before, or you knew it, or something like that. The funny thing is, about nine verses later, it says, uh, but he, God speaking to Moses, because Moses wanted to see him later on, evidently, said, you can't see my face. No one could see my face and live. So the question is, which is it? It's only nine verses apart. Do you see God face to face or can you not see him? And perhaps the answer is both. And part of the problem, by the way, um, this, this makes literalism really tough. Do you remember how we talked about these stages that we go through? I'll, I'll, do a quick, uh, I'll do a quick review. But we have these stages of our spiritual growth, and one is the sponge, right? You're just soaking everything up, and then you move to what? Literal. And then you go to formal. That is... You just buy in what the pastor, the priest, the tribe, the team says, and then you go to what? Skeptical. Some of you have a good memory. And then paradox. One, two, three. Paradox. All right? My writing gets worse as the day goes on here. All right. Paradox. Mystery, mystery, or spiritual state. But you have to go through the skeptic. But see, paradox is, this is, wasn't that exactly, I just read you a paradox right there from the Bible? You saw him face to face, and then later on he goes, well, no one can see my face and live. So which is it? The answer is both. But you and I have been trained, I've been talking about this in the past, with a binary mind. A binary mind makes you a great scientist, gets you through mathematics. It's this or it's this. You can't have either. Anybody ever have this in logic or debate? It's this or this. But that's not taken into account paradox. And so this is a paradox. And the reason I'm saying it is, listen very carefully, the reason I'm saying it is not to prove anything or to be right, but because people get here and things don't make sense. You go to school and you learn something about science that didn't add up with what your pastor said. And then you feel like I'm in this place which you don't need to be in or you're given a false choice. You have to choose God or atheism. You have to choose the God of your childhood or Sunday school, or you have to throw the whole thing out. And what I'm here to say is, no, when you get here and you face these problems or these questions, 
there's another level that you can know God at. Are you with me? The level where you don't know everything. Oh, don't you hate that? Who hates not knowing everything? Having all the answers, being the smart guy in the room, right? And the reality is, what the Bible has pointed to from early on is the idea of paradox, that you don't have it nailed, and that you can learn from somebody else. And what, what Jesus starts to teach us, and we're going to learn today, is that God isn't dead as has been proposed, but perhaps God is different. Not dead, but perhaps different. Perhaps God is um, a paradox to your mind, something, and then you think of Isaiah, what is it, Isaiah 55, where he says, God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? So God's gonna certainly have to be bigger than us, bigger than our definitions of him. Anybody here, uh, you ever been in this situation where you got defined a certain way? Someone said, well, this person is this. And you know that there's a lot more to you than that. You know, this person is um, a nerd. And you're like, well, I am a nerd. I have a very nerdy thing, but I'm also a jock, or I'm also a this, and I'm also a that. You're not a one-dimensional person. And so the problem is when you put God in a box like this is that you limit God, which is why we started with this idea that you shouldn't have idols, not carved idols, mental idols, right? Things that in your mind where you define God and you say, this is how God always is and always acts. And so that God, this is important, is bound to let you down. This literal stage and this formal, and this is how God is, and this is always how it works. And then you go to school, you learn something different, or something happens in your life. Listen, something happens in your life that doesn't add up with the way you learned about God. I was told if I did this, and if I did this, and if I did this, God would always protect me. And then something happens. And uh, you have to rethink God. This is the place where a lot of people throw God out and say, see, I told you, there's no such thing as God. But what I'm trying to say in this series is this. It's not that God doesn't exist or God is dead, but perhaps God is different different than the way you learned about him as a child. Now, I have a little video clip I want to show you that, that is an experience. It's part of a movie we showed some last week of a guy who got to this stage where things happen in his life and the God that he grew up with um, wasn't working anymore.
Scenes from, uh, as, you, as you probably know, the movie The Shack, and he gets this note from God or Papa, and it said, Come meet me at the shack. And it's the place of his tragedy, it's the place of his pain, his daughter's um, captured and missing. And um, the God he grew up with just wasn't working. Now, the metaphor in there, if you, if you picked it up, is he shows up there thinking of that God, and that God doesn't show up because that God isn't there. The scene after that, right, is he meets God, but in a different form. And I don't know if you, if you picked this up or not, but what, it, what the movie was trying to say and the story is trying to say is that God perhaps doesn't exist. And this is why I'm saying this is so important. Listen, because a generation, a generation is walking away from this. A whole generation. Do your math. This is what's happening. And they've stopped here, and many of them are what I, I call soft atheists. Soft atheists. They're not going around with pamphlets. They're not militant about it. They don't, you know, but they just, ah. And so they'll come with you at Christmas, you know, get you off their back. They'll, they'll come. They're not going to hate you. But that, that's not a workable solution anymore. 
And it may be for reasons that, of things that they've learned about science. It may be for things that um, they, they, they encounter in the world. And they say, well, then wouldn't your God do something about this? And so people feel stuck. And so what I wanted to do in this series is to say, perhaps there's a different view than you were exposed to. And last week we talked about Jesus saying, God is spirit, right? God is spirit. And if God is spirit, then this means that God is more than some being somewhere on a throne, right? But that God is everywhere. Now the Apostle Paul took this and I think extrapolated it really well in, um, in Acts um, 17, where he goes to Athens and he gets um, in a conversation with some folks and um, they invite him to a, um, to a place they call the Areopagus. And I think I actually have a picture. I want to show you a picture. This is, this is me and Vicky and Charlie standing where Paul stood. Tim, thank you, sir. That's good. Thank you. I'll just hold it for a second. This is, the, uh, this is in Athens, right here. And uh, right behind us, right, is the Parthenon. Now, this is um, taken, what, I think it was in September. And uh, I'm sure Paul had like a baby carrier when he was there as well, and all these kinds of things. Um, but this is, this is an actual place you can go to. And Paul was here, and he gives this speech, and I'm going I'm to read it to you. Um, it's from Acts. Thanks, Tim. And it says, um, The God who made the world and everything in it uh, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, interestingly, there's a temple right over his shoulder as he's saying this, right? The Parthenon right there above him. And he's giving them a new concept of God. Just stay with me. Because everyone thought, well, God was in these little buildings or houses. And he was trying to say that God is everywhere. This is a game changer. God is everywhere. And um, this God who doesn't live in these temples, he uh, is with us at all times. And it says, in him we live and in, in him we move and in him we have our being. So God's everywhere, but this is an important part. And it says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. This is really important. God, ready? God doesn't need anything. He needs nothing. Now this is an important thing because you and I, us humans, um, we're, we're a bit needy at times. Huh? Elbow someone next to you who's needy. Right? Um, there's somebody near you who's needy. They, they need things. And all of us are needy. And we need, like, for instance, um, we, we need, when we're not at our best, we're needier. Is this true? If I'm not at my best, I need more praise heaped on me. I need more, you know, stroking of my ego. But if I'm at my best, my cup is full. I'll use this 
right? My cup is full. I, I feel okay, secure in myself. And actually, I can now give out. This is important. When you're at your best, you're able to give. When you're at your best, you're able to give. It doesn't feel like someone's prying something from you. It just feels like it's spilling over. Who's ever been there? Who's ever been at your good zone? Please, sometime, right? The words came easily. The affirmations came easily. The compliments came easy. Um, you, you, you were giving of yourself. It, was just, it just flowed out of you because you're full. And when you're full, it spills over. What Paul was trying to say, this is really important, is first and foremost, God is full. God's full. Not needing. So you get to a, a, a church or experience and they start saying things like, God needs you to do this. God needs you to do that. This is so important. God does not need anything. God's completely full. Completely full. Churches need things. <laughs> Pastors need things, right? Sometimes we, uh, what, cross them over a little bit, make it sound like God's. Pastors need things. Churches need things, you know, but God doesn't. This is really important. Um, so you think in your life about a needy person, and you think, man, every time the phone rings or every time oh boy, oh, this is, I got to get some energy for this phone call. You know, you take a couple vitamins, you see them calling it. I'm going to, because I'm going to be giving a lot. This person is need, and that's just reality. You, everybody has them in their life, their family members or their friends or their relatives, whatever. And then you think of somebody in your life that you know who's never needy or rarely. They're full. They're probably, maybe not always, but they're probably a little older because somehow we get through the bumps in life in a little bit and you get a grandma or, you know, a sweet aunt or somebody like that. And they just, you talk to them on the phone and they just fill your cup. Are you with me? They just fill it up. And you're like, oh man, I can't wait till they call again. <laughs> or you ever have lunch with somebody and you just can't, you're like, whoa, three hours went by because they were filling your cup. Are you with me? The problem has been that too often God's been perceived as needing something from us. Even I, I went to a church and at one time they were talking about how God needs our praise. Oh, what an emotionally disturbing picture of God. Like, because, you know, because people weren't singing enough. So the guy leading the singing said, God needs your praise. And I went, oh. What I thought is, you know, maybe you ought to go get a couple more lessons because they're not singing because you're off. You know, this is what I thought. But it, it, could it be true that when I, the, the person's struggling, that they're needy and they're putting it onto God? This is important. God is not needy. And if you start to see God as this um, full, I love the idea in the shack because to me it was just so easy to connect with, is God the Father as this muffing, muffin-making African-American woman, just huggable. Is anybody with me? Just huggable, right? Um, 
I mean, I don't know, some, some of our societies had like the male, like the austere, like, oh, just go get uh, some wood, son, you know. And so it can feel distant, so I love that. But it's this, I'm full, I'm, I, I'm just here to give. I'm here to make muffins. I'm here to give to you. I don't need you to give to me. Now this is fundamentally a game changer because a lot of times we're well-meaning, but we start getting on our kids. I need you to, I want you to go to church. And they, well, but I don't, I, don't, I don't get anything out of it. Is this with me? But you need to go because, because, because. It, when it stopped becoming life-giving, right? And now you're there to give something to God. We've made God into the needy one. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And when we start to get what Paul was trying to say is that he doesn't need. Back then, you know, people would bring things or make sacrifices as if God needed some kind of smell in his nostrils or he needed to see some animal or he needed some blood. He needed to see bloodshed of some kind. No. God doesn't need anything. First, God's full. God's satisfied. God's content. And if the being, right, that we know is content or full or happy or like, I, I just think of my grandmother, I'm just here to give. I'm just here to give. All of a sudden, the image of God starts to change. The other thing that we learn is that God, not just spirit, right, but God is personal, personal. So spirit, this is where we're going to talk about paradox, spirit gives this idea that it's, it's ethereal, like how do I hug spirit? You with me? But God has to be both, to be everywhere. Do you mind thinking for a minute? Who can think for a minute? God has to be both. If he's a being, then he has to live in a building and you have to travel to that building like people have always done for, you know, eons of time. They go to certain places where God is. But God has to also be, right, spirit, so he's everywhere, but God also has to be personal. So Jesus comes and teaches us about God the Father. It's his metaphor. Um, God isn't male, we all know that, female, but it's a metaphor because it was like the papa in the shack, a personal being. And this is a really important thing. Do you know, I think father was used in the, uh, God as father was used in the Old Testament, which is massive amount of writings, like 15 times, pretty much all metaphors. But in the Gospel of John alone, God the Father is used a hundred times. So Jesus is erupting on the scene with a new understanding of God. So if you have a bad father figure in your head, which I, I think Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, did, so he made God the Father a female, right? So don't get stuck on the metaphor, because some of you have a bad image of a dad, some of you. Some of you have great, which is way to go. But some of you have a bad image of dad. He was harsh, mean, judgmental, blah, 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 smacked you around. You know, this is not God. A father figure or a mother figure. I was thinking about it this week. I, I went, 
I'm, I'm trying to be a good dad. I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be a good dad. You know what I mean? Is anybody with me? But like, I, I think my heart's in the right place. I'm sure I'm messing it up. But the other day, the other day, um, you know, you have the baby monitor. Charlie's taking her nap. And all of a sudden, she just woke up with a scream. A, I mean, a serious one. And I just go sprinting up the stairs, you know. And my natural reaction is sprinting up the stairs. And there was like a, a drop of blood right here on her eye, right? What does your heart do? Oh, just, whoa. I mean, because I thought the other day she bumped her head. She had a good bruise there. You know, I mean, you think, is anybody with me? Like, think, I'm, what a terrible thing. You think the worst. Oh, my God, her, she's bleeding out of her eye. And, you know, it turns out I think she just scratched herself. Do you know what I mean? But your heart is so connected. You just, so this is what I want you to think of God. Matthew, Jesus said this. If, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God know how to give good to you? This is the thing I want you to pick up about God. If I could say anything, I'd say this. Everyone here that's a parent knows exactly what I'm talking about when I went running up the stairs and you saw this little drop of blood or whatever it is. You, you just immerse yourself, immerse yourself into that situation. You do anything to make sure that they're okay. There's, how much more does God love you? God doesn't love you less. God always loves you more. So whatever concept you have heard of God, that he would be less loving than any human being. I've heard so many stories over the years because I'm a pastor, because people talk to me about their God stories. I went to this church, and they told me this, and they pointed to a Bible verse, and, they, and, and it's not loving at all. And they, they said, well, it doesn't matter because this is what the Bible says. And I go, no, 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 no. No. Jesus told us, right? Who's here kind of halfway interested in Jesus or more? I mean, that's, that's who we're picking our cues up from, right? He says, God's like a father, but not just that. You who, you who don't even have a clue, he uses the, the, uh, he uses the word evil. It, I mean, you know, you're not even close to what God is. Do anything for your kids. How much more, more? So think of the most loving situation. If you, if you love your kids or if you have a father that loved you or a grandma that loved you, think of God loves me infinitely more than that. And that's all God could ever be is more loving than that. God is love. John goes on to say, God is love. So somehow, God is the essence of love. Now watch this. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Where Jesus, Paul, now John, it's like the revelations, it's like the doors have come open. And now we can start to see the nature of God. God is love. And if you're loving, you're living in God. And if you're not loving, you're what? You're not living in God. So whatever you see that is talked about with God, here's my theory on taking the Lord's name in vain. Anybody ever heard of this, of the Ten Commandments? And people... Today, I think it means don't swear with using God's name. 
I think taking the Lord's name in vain is not that. I think it's, right, people that do things in the name of God with a robe or a pastor title or a fish on their car, <laughs> saying this is God-sanctioned, but it's not loving. Listen carefully what I'm saying, but it's not loving. I think you're taking God's name in vain. I think pastors do it every Sunday. I think Christians do it all the time. Because, well, well, in the name of, you know, God says this, the church said that. I have story after story after story. People come to me and tell me the most outrageous stories of things that happen in their church. Well, this is the company policy, right? And it's not loving, but it's done in the name of God. So to me, this is what... And why would, they, why would they say, don't take God's name in vain? Because there's other people looking at that. Are you with me? And they're looking at it and they're going, man, I, I don't want anything to do with God. Because that's not, what? It's not loving. Jesus gave us a completely new way to see and to understand God. Later on, People gave a name for this, and you may have heard it if you, if you grew up in church, um, but they call it the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the what? The Spirit. And most people, it's just a, kind of a random idea, but I want you to think of it this way. God is interdependent. God's pouring his love into the Son, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so if you've ever read the Gospels, it's, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? But the Spirit's in me, and you, I just read to you, God lives in you, and you in God. And it's all this kind of like confusing. Anybody with me? Anybody ever confused by the whole idea of the Trinity? So here's the thing. Think of it this way. Remember this fullness I talked about in God? That's, he's full. So God's free to pour out. And God pours out, Father pours into Son, Son pours into Spirit, Spirit pours in. And so this is how this whole thing works. And then God invites you, ready, to come in. Um, you ever seen like three people having a good time, like a great TV commercial? This is, what, this is how they do it. And they're all sitting around in a circle, and they're just laughing and telling jokes. You're thinking, man, I'd like to sit in that circle. That'd be so fun. I'd love to sit there. Picture this. So hard to picture. Father, Son, Spirit. Laughing, having a good time, right? Everyone's, no one's needing to pull the other person down. No one's needing to take anything from anyone. It's just, that's good. That's good way to go. And there's just a circle of love. And there's an empty chair for you. God's calling you, stay with me, into this circle. And there's plenty. And God just keeps pouring his love in, right? And that, that's why John says in this part, he goes, we love, the reason that we love is because God first loved us. It gets poured into you, and then you, what? poured into somebody else. If you're not receiving, you cannot be giving. Freely, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely you, what? You give. So this is, this is 
the new way to think of God. Not as a static being in the sky, looking down, grading your performance all the time. But think of God in this, they use this word trinity, but think of God as this. God's pouring into the sun, the sun's giving out the spirit, and it's all together. Remember at the beginning of of the series I told you, I'm going to tell you the end. God is with us, God is for us, and God is what? In us. God the Father is God for us. God for us. God's for you. Now, I don't know about you. Again, if, you, if, it, if the father thing doesn't work, then it's God the mother. It doesn't matter because God isn't gender. But if you have a good mental image of father or grandfather, whatever, for you, for you, for you. I have such a good image of my dad being for me, thankfully, right? My dad was for me, right, all the time. Everything he could get to, he went to. He was there. He was cheering for me. He was rooting for me. My dad literally became the, what do they call the announcer at the football games, the high school football game. He was the guy on the microphone. Now, that's a dad that's cheering for you. You know what I mean? He gave a little extra zing when Kramer got a tackle. <laughs> for you. I am for you. I never had any other message to, to me that I am for you. You got that image? God's for you. Never against you. God with us, the Son, right? Emmanuel, God with us. So God's for you, God's with you. Everywhere you go, God is with you. Psalm 139, he says, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. No matter where I go, where could I escape from your presence? God who is always and forever with us. And then spirit, we'll end here. God in us. You live in God and God lives in you. If I can say anything, and I want to, I want to stop here, this is the one that's been underemphasized or undertaught in the church. God in us. This was a game changer. God in us? But it's there over and over and over again in the scripture. In us. In fact, this 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 phrase, because people were so used to temples or places that God lived, they said, you are the temple of God's what? Spirit. Look at yourself. Do you know, listen, people are uncomfortable with this. I have found people are more, more comfortable with me going, you're a lousy, rotten sinner, and this and that. And then somehow they, they embrace that message. And I say, you are housing the Spirit of God. It has to change the way you look at yourself in the mirror. Here's the close. Ready? You look at yourself in the mirror, you say, that's the temple of God. That's the temple of God. How many know that would change your day every day when you went to work? That's the temple of God. That's God in us. The old the old view of God, God's here and he's keeping track, it's much like Santa Claus. He's making a list, he's checking it twice, right? It's very, it's eerie. Um, 
has, and, th and then what you do is you make transactions. You do good things, and then God replies. You make some sins, and then you have to do a bunch of things to get back the, the scales tipped back in your favor. Anybody get something like this growing up? Um, please, okay, there's a catalog of sins. You did, let me look it up. Uh, oh, yeah, sin 29B. Sin 29B. That's going to be this many prayers. Are you with me? And you say them, and all of a sudden, God's smiling again. Transactional God. But what we need, and this is very different, because people, look, on the outside, they go, that's wacko. They do. They go, that's nuts. You can go up there, and you say this prayer this many times, and then you walk out, and you're the same person. You're the same cranky, cantankerous nasty, but doesn't matter. You're good with God. It's a transactional idea of God. You just got to get into God's good graces so you can get to heaven. What the people on the outside or the people that have left are saying is, shouldn't God change the type of person you are? Shouldn't God here change you? And then God makes you a better person, a nicer person, a more kind person, or as we call the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So I want to wrap it by saying this. This um, idea of God not a being in the sky, but God for us, God with us, God in us. The idea is that it changes us. Not, it doesn't like we're right and someone else is wrong. That's not, that's not the concept at all. But the idea is I'm, I'm letting God change me, pour his love into me so that I can then pour it into somebody else. But if you don't see God as love, right, then that, that's not how it's going to work out for you. You're just going to think, what do I have to do so I'm in good graces with God or I get to heaven or you know, God's not mad at me? Completely the wrong way to think of it. I made, um, I made so many, anybody make some doozies growing up? I mean, I made some doozies as an adult. What am I saying? But uh, I mean, I can think about growing up like, wow, I made some big blunders. Anybody can say and I, I remember how my, I could, now looking back, I could see the, the wheels turning in my dad's head, like, how am I going to handle this? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm, this is a tough one. And you, you could see that half of him just wanted to, you know, he never did that to me, but I'm just, you could see it in his head, like, and as, you, as I grew up, he figured, he figured out, I got to help him become a young man. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? It's not about being right or wrong or I followed the rule or I didn't or I broke it because all of us break the rule. No? Oh. And so the question is, for the parent, is how do I help them change? That's the question. Can I just say something? God's not sitting up in some skybox with a checklist trying to figure out if you said enough prayers to get the balance ledger worked out. What God is doing my, is helping us all grow up.
become, or I'll say it this way, become the people that he wants us to become. So that the love he's pouring into us, we can freely pour into others. Um, Charlie's new thing is she gets up on her feet and then she goes like this, which means, come here, Dad, and hold my hand so we can walk together, right? And I like to say, I'm taking Charlie for a walk, but the reality is she's taking me for a walk. Are you so she gets up and she goes like this, right? And then when she gets there, she backs around, ready? She backs around and then does this hand because that means this is a two-handed walk, right? This is the picture I want you to have of God, right? This is us, right? And you think, well, it's, it's all about God, but the reality is God made it about you. I don't know if you picked that up. It's like, we, we think, I, I got to just cling on to God wherever you, but the reality is God's making it about you. I go where she wants to go. When we get to the level where we're not afraid of God, then you're getting a lot closer. And I, I don't know why, but it's so hard to get people away from that level. And it's right there in, in 1 John. He goes, perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. As long as you're at the level of fear, you're, you're afraid. You can't move to the next level.